We are over in 2 Kings chapter 8. It's a fun little passage that's here. Then Elisha went to Damascus and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Hazael, Take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Hosea went to him, went to meet him and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from these, this disease? Now, Elisha went to Damascus. Is Damascus in Israel? No, where is Damascus? It is in Syria. Why is Elisha, Elisha going to Damascus? Damascus is a city of a Gentile nation. Elisha is sent to the northern tribes of Israel. That's where his ministry is at. He is, of course, sent to the Israelites. But his particular ministry was to the northern tribes, which were in constant rebellion to God and constant idolatry. That's where he was sent. Why is he going to Damascus? There is no explanation given in the Word of God for us. We have no idea why he's going to Damascus. It just says, Elisha went to Damascus, just like it's a normal thing. Now, there has been some war going on. We've looked at some of these things with, with Syria and Israel. There's been some war going on, some battles that have been, been happening. They just sent a, a group of people down there to get him, a real large army, and he led them into Samaria where they were basically captured. They fed them and sent them home. And after that, they... Uh, they did more stuff. <laughs> so There's been a lot of stuff going on between Syria and, and Israel. So why would you go into hostile territory? Because up to this point, Damascus has been hostile territory. Well, the only explanation I've been able to find, uh, it uh, comes out of a quote from uh, a man by the name of Ewald. It said he could have been a, a sergeant more than a, the, his sergeant could have been more than just a visit as a, as, um, more than a visit as disorder and danger may have been growing in Samaria as a result of growing divergent opinions between King Jehoram and the Queen Mother Jezebel, who still retained considerable influence over the government. Now, we know that Ahab died, but Jezebel is still running around. And she's still doing some things. So she, with the way that she yielded power over her husband, she's also trying to do it over the, the king that's there now, the, the son. And so this kind of conflict is going on. She likes to kill prophets. And so there may have been something going on between her trying to kill him and, and Jehoram. Because and, Jehoram, we saw before, wasn't too happy with Elisha. He's ready to take his head off. But um, don't know exactly what went on. So more than likely, the hostility of Israel was greater than the hostility of Damascus. And that's why he went over to, to Damascus. Now, when he gets there, he gets a nice warm welcome. Which uh, 40 camel loads of, of gifts, come, that's a lot of gifts. Because a camel can hold a lot of stuff. And he got 40 of them. We never hear whether he accepts it. We never hear that he rejects it. We heard he rejected it before when Naaman came with some stuff. But we never hear that he accepted or rejected this. Don't know what happened. Can't really suppose on anything on this at all. He may have been, if he was uh, forced out of Samaria... He may have come to Damascus with nothing, and maybe this is uh, some uh, get-along money until he can get on back over to Israel. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but apparently that's not important as far as the story is concerned. But, the, but Ben-Hadad was sick. Now, he, apparently he wasn't sick enough to go find a man of God, but since one had come into town, let's go over and let's ask him what's going on. And so before with, with Naaman, we sent to Elisha. But on this one, we're just going to go ahead and uh, we'll get him when he comes into town. So he says, uh, the man of God has come here. Oh, this is good. This is the same one that did the stuff with Naaman, with the uh, leprosy and all that sort of thing. He said, take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him saying, shall I recover from, uh, from this disease? Must have been some question whether he was going to recover or not. So it had to be a little bit more severe than just a cold or a flu or something like that. It's, he just wasn't sure. You know, let's, go, let's see if I'm going to recover and get well. So Hosea went to meet him and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camelos. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? Now Ben-Hadad 
had the potential to turn to God. There were some good things in Ben-Hadad. He was the one who, who would uh, occasionally seek after the Lord, but he was also an enemy of Israel. So he's going back and forth, but there was potential there for him to, to possibly see, uh, seek after God and possibly make a turn to God. Put in your outline, he has seen the reality of Jehovah and the falseness of his own gods. And he's making the comparison and he's seen how, how great Israel's God is and how poor his own have been. Now think about this. Who else made a trip to Damascus that's a very famous trip? Paul. Why does Paul go to Damascus of Syria? To get Christians in the very early days of the church. Which means in the very early days of the church, of all the regions around, Damascus of Syria has a bunch of Christians in it which would tell you that the people of Damascus are open to the gospel. And more than likely, we're open to the gospel in these days as well. But when Christianity came about, enough of them accepted that uh, Christians left their home there and went up and had other people converted. Paul's on his way over there to get some of the Jewish folks who settled out there and became and were Christians. But they're in Damascus which is friendly to, to, to a Christian church. So you've got the early makings of a Christian church there. Syria was not all bad all the time. There was potential for them to be in the family of God. So Ben-Hadad had the potential to, to recover, is what he says here. He, he's, uh, he's, there, we're going to see there's potential for him to get better. Let's go on before we, we finish off the rest of that. Um, because the question is, shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, go, say to him, you shall sh certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will surely die. Now, that's a weird word, isn't it? He shall surely recover, but the Lord has shown me that he will die. So, can you imagine being in a hospital and the doctor comes to you and he says, look, we're going to be able to cure you this disease, but you won't get out of the hospital before you die. Can you imagine that? I mean, how are you supposed to interpret that kind of thing? That's basically what the word is that's coming to him. He's given this word to Hazael that he's, uh, I've, he, he can recover from this, this disease, but the Lord has shown me that he will surely die. And then he just stares him down. He just stares him down. Because the, what's going to happen here is that then Hadad will recover from his disease... But Hazael will kill him before he does. That's not such a good thing. So Ben-Hadad had the potential to recover, but Hazael had the potential for great evil. And we're going to see some of the great evil that he had the potential for. Now, in Amos chapter 1, verse 3, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron, but I will send a fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the places of Ben-Hadad. So judgment is, is pronounced upon them for what they're going to do. Second Kings ten thirty two. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel and Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, Manasseh, from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. So the Lord was, why was, why was the Lord cutting off Israel from their territory? Because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of their idolatry. And Hazael is there to scoop up all those, those parts. In Second Kings twelve seventeen, Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and in the king's house and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem. So he's coming over and he's going to conquer Jerusalem, but they buy him off. They give him all this money and he, he uh, decided not to. In Second Kings 13, verse 3, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. So Hazael, we're going to get back to this part. Uh, Hazael has a son named Ben-Hadad. 
all the days of Hazael and all the days of his son Ben-Hadad. The Lord has, has given the Israel into their hands. Verse 4, so Jehoaz pleaded with the Lord and the Lord listened to him for he saw the oppression of Israel because of the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin but walked in them and the wooden image also remained in Samaria for he left of the army of Jehoaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots and 10,000 foot soldiers for the king of Syria destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. So they didn't have a whole lot of defense there. So here's what you got. Israel goes into, remember the question we put up there on Facebook? One we put out there in the, in the Sunday. Well, why does God allow bad people to stay alive? Why does God allow bad people to be able to do bad things against his people? If God knew that Hazael would do these horrible things, why does he let them continue to go on? And now this verse complicates it even more. Because what we see is that God cut off Israel... Hazael comes in and does the judgment that God wanted against Israel and then God judges Hazael for doing what God wanted done. Does that sound confusing? Verse 10, again, of 2 Kings chapter 8. And Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You shall surely, certainly recover. This is the message that he is to give to Ben-Hadad. You shall surely recover. That's the message from the prophet. But that's not all the message. But that's all the message he's supposed to recount to him. Go say to Ben-Hadad, you shall surely recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed. Elisha is staring down Hazael. And the man of God wept. So he's staring him down and then all of a sudden he starts to cry. You see tears coming on down his face. And Hazael said, why is my Lord weeping? He answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Now, God knows this, and God has shown it to Elisha, that this guy standing in front of him, this is what he's going to do. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword. Now, even in a war situation, you understand that's what happens in war. It goes on. And you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. Now, that's going a little overboard, isn't it? That's not just a fight in the battle. We're killing the kids who are not involved in the fight. And we're taking the pregnant women and basically killing them and aborting the babies. So Hosea said, but what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? Now, what is he denying? Is Hosea denying that he will murder his master? Or is he denying that he would rip open the wombs of the children? Well, the only thing that probably sounded gross to him out of all this was the last two. And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Now think about this. Go back in our study on kings. Elijah is at the cave. Spirit of God comes upon him, rebukes him, and gives him an assignment to anoint three people. Do you remember who they were? Jehu, king of Judah. I'm sorry. No, he's going to be king of Israel. Elisha, to be prophet in Elijah's place. And who's the third? Hazael, king of Syria. So we're going to complicate this even more. God called Elijah to anoint Hazael, king over Syria. But Hazael... At this point, before he's king, is known by God to do horrible things to Israel. Doesn't that sound kind of odd? If you were God, would you do this? <laughs> I mean, would you? The man of God is embarrassed by this and weeps at what he sees that this man's going to do. If Elisha is weeping, what's God doing? But still, God calls for Hazael to be king over Syria and anoints him. Now, we have no case, I can't find anywhere in the Word of God, where Elisha or Elijah anoints Hazael king over Syria. But somewhere it had to have happened. 
Somewhere it was done, it probably just wasn't recorded. But it seems like it was done before this day. Whether Elijah did it or whether Elisha did it, we don't know. But somewhere before this day, probably it was done. Because after this, I don't think you can get Elisha to, to anoint him king. I think he might have a hard time with it. Maybe he does, but anyway. Hazael denied that he had the potential to do this. You're saying that I could do this kind of thing? He says, far be it from me that I could do this. The world is filled with empty promises. I put this in your outline for you. Not realizing something could happen seems to make it easier for it to occur. Not realizing something could happen seems to make it easier for it to occur. I've got a couple of examples for you. One, Peter. Jesus says to him, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. What's Peter do? No, that's not going to happen. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh What happened? <laughs> One, two, three times before the rooster crowed. The other disciples, what'd they all say? We're not going anywhere. We're staying right here with you. We're going to die with you, all this sort of stuff. What happened to them? Ran off. They were, they were gone. They didn't, uh, they didn't hang out too long on, on that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read this for you. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So what he's saying here is this. When you go and correct someone out of their area of error, you need to realize that you could fall in that error as well. Otherwise, you could be tempted. If you do not realize that you have the potential to fall into the same thing that you are correcting someone else on, you will fall for it. We have to realize potential. Denying a potential does not, does not work. We see this in our current day. How many t- look at our, just in the last couple of years. We just use a couple of You can go years and years back too, but we just use some of the, the, the newer ones. When all those children were put on the trains and sent over all those borders and came over into the borders of the United States and they were dispersed. How many of our government officials, high up ones, told us we checked all those kids out? They're disease free and so forth. And then they dispersed them. And we know where they all are, they, they say, and now all of a sudden they can't find them. We don't know where they are. And then all of a sudden, mysterious diseases started popping up in our schools. These diseases hadn't been in this country for, for decades. And all of a sudden, they're showing up. How is that possible? And then we find out that doctors, before they were silenced, were coming out and saying, we didn't check any of them. There was very little checks done on any of these folks. And so all these, these kids were dropped off into neighborhoods and into into schools and nothing was checked out. We had the President of the United States come out on Thursday and talk about the whole thing with uh, how ISIS is contained. Did you hear that speech? I did not hear the speech. There are certain presidents that have come along. Clinton was one. This one is another whose words hurt me inside because of, the, of what's behind them. It doesn't happen often, but I... I, I don't listen to him. I have a very difficult time listening to him. I will read some of the stuff that he says. But that's about as far as I can, I can go with it. But he said this. And then what happened on Friday? ISIS launched a huge attack against France. Paris and other places were, were affected. And then the Syrians, uh, refugees, are st- some of the ones who did the attack were Syrian ref- posed as Syrian refugees. And it's been said for, for weeks that there were... ISIS members in the Syrian refugees being sent over to Germany, being sent over to European nations, being sent over to non-Muslim nations that they were being implanted in their ISIS people were just being brought in with these and they were told they were going to come over here too and they've already sent many of them all the way around. But then we're promised, they're promised what? We vetted every one of them. Go over to Damascus, go over to Syria and you find a database to compare anybody to. Who do you think you're dealing with over there? We're not dealing with the United States. What do you vet them against? What do you have to vet? What do you have to say that this is not an ISIS person? You don't. But how, they vehemently come out and say, "Oh no, they're they're okay. They're okay." The people that are coming up from the southern borders. 
I know everybody got on Trump because he was uh, generalizing and saying some things, but his stats were right. The folks that were illegal aliens coming from the southern borders were, in a, were involved in crimes at a higher rate than anyone else was. That's all he was trying to say. But of course it was denied. And I get tired of all this denial, folks. If we deny that there's potential, we can't defend against the potential. You have to realize that there's a potential for the thing. If you, at least if you realize there's a potential for a problem, then you can defend against it. But when we deny that there's a problem, we don't defend against it. This is what's happening here. Hazael says, there's no problem. I won't do those kind of things. Why would you even accuse me of doing them? But he will and he does. Even though he is warned about this. Isn't that amazing? That's not our main idea here. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 13, verse 3 again. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and in the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. Now look at this. You want to talk about hypocrite. Hazael goes home and within 24 hours kills Ben-Hadad. Suffocates him. And then when he has a child, names him after the king he murdered. To make it look like, oh, I really mourned his death. Oh, I was so sad when he died of that disease. I would bet even Hazael was going out. You know, the, the, the man of God, the prophet, even said he would recover. And he didn't. I guess he's not as much of a man of God as we thought. Can you, can you potentially see him doing that? Because he wants to extol his own gods and put down the God of Israel. That's an opportunity to do it, even though he knows that's not the case. Now, Hazael, king of Syria, died. Then Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place. So there it is in uh, verse 24 of Second uh, Kings 13. Hazael, when he dies, his son's going to reign in his place, who is Ben-Hadad. Yeah, it was a fraudulent honor that was, was given there. Verse 14, Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me you would surely recover. <laughs> Isn't that what the prophet said to say? He can't say the rest. He told me you would surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth, dipped it in water, and spread it over his face so that he died. That's just a way to suffocate the the person without leaving any marks and Hazael reigned in his place I'm not sure why Hazael was the one in line somehow he was we're not giving all the ins and outs about it but Hazael knew that if I got rid of this guy I'm going to take his spot and that's what he did now I put this in your in your outline for you evil potential seems easily obtained if you have potential to be evil There is not too much standing in your way. Evil potential seems easily obtained. With very little effort, I can fulfill evil desires. I mean, is it hard to fulfill evil desires? Not usually. With more effort, I can become greatly evil. You put a little bit of effort into it, you can really become evil. We've seen some really evil people in the the world. You know, we all think of, of Hitler and some of the evil things he did. But, you know, Stalin and Lenin and the evil they did was even more horrible than some of the things that Hitler did. It was, uh, they were horrible people. And even you go over to, to Italy, they, their, their partner in the war, uh, Mussolini. Horrible stuff that they did. The Japanese Empire, the things that they did. Horrible, horrible empire. Horrible things they did. Now they're rewriting history and we're the bad guys for dropping the bomb. But they don't tell you all the horrible things they were doing or the horrible things they intended or the horrible things they did on places that they conquered. They don't tell you all that. They don't tell you the things that Stalin and Lenin were doing during, during the war. They don't tell you all the, all the things that were going on. They don't, they, don't want to, they don't want that in people's minds as far as history is concerned. When, we were, when my kids were going through school, and uh, my, my son would get so frustrated at history classes because all they really basically taught you, taught you was the Revolutionary War and there aren't only parts of it. And as far as World War II was concerned, they taught you about Pearl Harbor and um, I, I think D-Day. And that was basically it. 
I said, didn't they teach you about Midway? What? Didn't even know what Midway was. So we had all kinds of fun teaching them about Midway. I said, what about Stalingrad? What about Leningrad? What about the battles that went on there? Uh, what about World War I and, and uh, the, the Battle of Verdun? Did they not teach you about these things? He never even knew what these things were. But some of the horrors, some of the things that went on, some of the things that people, good people had to do to stop an evil empire from going on was incredibly important. And the, the hand of God in it was incredible too. Lots of good things that, that God did to help those things, those things out. D-Day, we should never have been successful at. Unbelievable the odds we, we overcame in, the, in that battle. And a very horrible battle. But uh, just amazing some of the things that went out on with that. But anyway, we're not going to do that. But evil potential, folks, is easily realized. And if you put some effort into it, you can really become bad. And it, there's not a whole lot of uh, standing in your way there. Godly potential has many distractions, many obstacles. There's sin, distractions, discouragement, apathy. All these things come in and they will stand against you reaching your potential in the area of godly uh, goodness, righteousness. There's all kinds of things. that you all, Everyone born in this earth has potential to do good, but they also have potential to do bad. It depends on which direction you're going to go, which direction that you're going to follow. And God gives everyone the opportunity to choose whether they follow the good potential or the evil potential. But God has said, He will not make your choice for you. And He's given us countless examples of people in the Word of God who were evil, and God does not stop them. When the children of, Israel, when the children of men got together, and they decided we're going to be as God, and we're going to build a tower up to the heavens... Does God stop them from doing it? He let them continue to go on. All he said, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to make it hard for them to accomplish this and I'm going to confuse their language. But he still did not, he did not stop them from making bricks, from putting bricks on top of other bricks. He let them continue to go that way. And he, just, he, he put some obstacles up in the way. God will put obstacles in the way of evil people but he will not stop them the way we think of stopping them. He hasn't done it yet. Pharaoh, God doesn't stop Pharaoh. God just made it very, he made a very persuasive argument for, for Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. That's all that he did. He still needed him to choose to do it. And Pharaoh finally chooses to do it and then changes his mind and comes back out after him. And God, I mean, could God just have wiped them all out? Yeah, but instead he wipes them out by their own choices. They made a choice to go in the water after them and basically to go against God. That didn't work out so well. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You have good potential. The more sin, the more negative stuff that you take on as baggage, the less you will go. Now see, I understand the, the language that he uses in, in this very, very well because when you run, you want as light a weight of stuff as you can do. You don't go out there in jeans to, to run a race. You, you, uh, you find some nice lightweight shorts, nice lightweight top, nice lightweight shoes. You want to go out there weighing as little as possible so that you can just run on through and not, you don't carry suitcases. You don't carry your wallet. You don't carry your phone. You don't need any of these things to go out if you're in a race. If you're in a race, the idea is you let everything go. You just take along what you absolutely have to have. And that's all that you do. If you're swimming in the pool, you do the same thing. Guys who are swimming in the pool, I mean, they'd shave them, their entire body, shave their whole body so that they don't have that drag. I don't know how much drag you get from the little tiny bit of hair that's on your arms. <laughs> I, to me, I'm thinking, you know what? <laughs> I'm probably not going to do that. But that's what the, they're dedicated. They're out there. They're doing that. They're, they're, some of them, they'll shave their head. Get rid of every bit of hair. We don't need to carry it. The hair is not helping us. They get rid of it all. 
because they're, they're focused on this. But that's how we've got to get focused on the things with God. The more sin, the more baggage we carry al- around, the more it can divert us to go into a wrong direction. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. God will come along and he corrects us because he needs to get rid of those things that are holding us back. He needs to get rid of those things that will cause a distraction, those things that will take us to the evil potential, those things that will hinder us from going after the good potential. So he comes over and he corrects us and he says, you know, get rid of this part over here. Don't do this thing over here. Verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? If you endure chastening, not everyone can endure it. Some people, you go over and you correct them. Well, that's it. I'm not, I'm not staying with this. That's they grumble and they complain and they go. You can't chasten them. You, you, you can't help them out. This is one of the things they're doing in, in the modern day family anymore is they're teaching kids, if your parents discipline you, if you, if you feel unsafe, then you come and tell us. And what they're doing is making it so that the parents can't discipline and then wondering why they have problems with the students in the, in the, in the classrooms and such. No way. You let the mom and dad discipline any way they, they see fit. Whatever they need to do, you, you do that. Mom and dad love them more than anyone else. Well, we're raising a nation of babies. We got people in college, college campuses. I've been hearing reports about this all, all week. I'm not sure which ones it were. They feel unsafe in their college environments. Because I heard one, one report was, well, those Halloween costumes scared me. This is college. We're not talking high. Those Halloween costumes were scary and they scared me and I didn't feel safe on a college campus. Now, I may not like Halloween costumes to begin with, but <laughs> I don't feel unsafe because people are dressed up like whatever they're dressed up as. But apparently, there are people that are out there doing that. There was one person who made an accusation that someone hollered a racial slur. No proof, no video, and he felt unsafe. Now, I don't condone anybody going out there and hollering any kind of racial slur. I don't care what color or nationality or the, what it is. They, they shouldn't do that. But that doesn't mean you need to feel unsafe in the thing. You don't even know who did it. You don't even know if they were looking at you. But they felt unsafe. One, one family donated an entire room called a safe room at a college. So that because uh, their, their daughter one time, one time felt unsafe in the college. This is, these are all true stories. One time she felt unsafe at college. This is what the parents were saying. And so we built this whole room so that people could go in there and feel safe. This is a safe room. So if the teacher is teaching some things and they don't like what they're being taught, they can go into the safe room and feel safe. What happens when you come out of the safe room? We're raising a nation of babies. We can't take any opposition. We can't take anything. And it's, it's just re, it's ridiculous what goes on. But this is where evil can take its roots because we can't fight it. We can't even pinpoint it. We can't even declare it. This is evil over here. We, we saw uh, that Democrat debate. I, I didn't watch it. I wouldn't waste my time. There's not a single person on the Democratic side right now that I would even waste a vote on. <clears throat> they're just, they're all, every single one of them, from the, I'm using their own words, every single one of them is ungodly, and does not believe in our Constitution, and is doing things against the security of our nation. Every single one of them. If that's news to you, do your research. You can do the same way I did. Find out some of the things these folks have said. But on stage, none of them would talk about the Islamic terrorists. None of them. They would not use that word. Those, that combination of words. That's, if you won't recognize the problem, folks, you cannot deal with it. I heard this was, was going on. Do you, do you know that uh, when after France was, was, uh, had the attack, do you know they went over and they took out an ISIS command center? Did you hear about that? Destroyed it. Took it out, completely destroyed it. 
We've been bombing ISIS for a year. How is the command center still there? How can there be an ISIS command, not a, not a buried camp, or an ISIS command center? How can it still be there? And I saw some evidence on this that was very compelling. It goes all the way back to the Iranian deal that our president wants us to, to sign and to, to bring about that basically puts an, uh, a nuclear arm into the Iranian uh, arsenal. The Iranian influence on this is huge. Iran likes ISIS because they bring disorder to the region. As long as ISIS brings disorder to the region, Iran can take control. Now look at that in your Bible prophecies and see how that fits. It is not good. We have not taken out many ISIS locations because Iran doesn't want us to. Can you believe that? It gets a whole lot deeper than this. I've been looking at reading some stuff and tying this into end times things and oh man. We are, we are digging a hole. A really big one. That's what I keep saying. Just come on down. Get the seven years started. Let them have this world. Let them beat each other up for seven years. We'll head on home. We'll be there with you. And then we'll come back and we'll clean it up afterwards. I'm good with that. You can start tomorrow. I would be, I would be very happy with that. But if you endure chastening, we can't endure chastening anymore. We can't even endure, endure words that we think were hostile. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? If you can't endure it, you're a child. If you're that. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not more readily be in subjection to the Father of the spirits of lo- and live? For they indeed a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Isn't that the case? But painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up causing trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So much we could delve into in just that little passage right there. We're not here to get into all that. We want to get into this main, main aspect. Why is evil here? Why doesn't God combat evil the way we think he ought to combat it? Why does God allow certain things to go on? Why does God allow certain things to happen to his people? These are questions we'd like to have answered, right? Well, look at it this way. Evil exists on the earth because man let it in. When God recreated this earth, he reformed it after the revolt of Satan. And he took it into to the judgment. And it was the entire earth was judged with water. The entire earth was underwater. When he comes to it in Genesis and he removes that judgment and he says, let there be light again is what it is. Let there, let there be a separation of the waters and the land again is what it's saying. It's, it's not brand new. It was there before. We're bringing it back in. And he brings all these principles back in and makes this world and he makes it perfect. When God got done forming it, he made the, the firmament in the heavens. You know what that did? No storms. There are no storms with a firmament in the, hev- in the heavens. The reason that we have hurricanes is to redistribute heat and moisture. That's why it's here. That's why they spring up. They spring up in hot zones. And it distributes the heat and gets it out of the one area and, and moves it around. When God put the firmament in the heavens, there was no hot spots. All the earth was one temperature, roughly. It's all roughly around one temperature. There were no polar ice caps. There was no uh, equator. 
There was no super hot area. There was no desert area. It was all watered evenly. You didn't have to have rainstorms to water. There was no rain. There was a mist that watered everything. And you didn't have bright sunny days. We have those now. But because of that, the radiation of the sun didn't get through and people lived a whole lot longer. Now, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Can you imagine living 600, 700, 800 years in an earth as evil as it was? Or in the earth even as evil as it is here? I'm, I'm thinking, God, I barely won 65. You know, <laughs> once, once my assignment's done, get me out of here. I'm ready to go. I do not want to hang out here. To me, 800 years down here on this earth, in, in this, this system, that'd be a curse. I'd just, you know, get me out of here. Beam me up. God created a world without evil, without storms, etc. All these kind of... He created a world that did not have evil, that did not have any will but God's will, that did not have any massive storms, that did not have any destruction, did not have any catastrophes. Nothing. That's how He created it. So, when sin came in, then evil now, now persisted. But the firmament was still in place. There were still no storms. People still lived a long life. It did, the storms did not come until when? Until Noah's flood. And the, the flood of Noah was brought about because of the evil that was here, because of the, the uh, angels that came down and, and uh, had the sons and daughters or had the sons with the, with the daughters of men. And that had to be all wiped out. And in doing so, the firmament was gone. Now we have storms. But the way God created it, it, we didn't have that. It was not here. It came about again because of man's disobedience. Man brought it in. God does not alter people's choices, but can make the way full of obstacles. But he still does not alter their choices. If you choose to do evil, you may choose it. If you choose to do good, you may choose it. He has always left that choice up to us. But our idea is, if we make evil choices, or people are out there making evil choices, God should wipe them out. We got leaders around the world that people are praying, God, kill them. They're not understanding their God. And because of that, we're not, we're not praying right. We're not praying correctly. And our prayers aren't being answered. And the evil just continues to rise up. I put this in your outline for you. Just because we feel like God should or we want Him to do something is not grounds for God to act. God, I really think you ought to... That boss of mine? I, they should not... I want you to get them fired. This is not how God operates. It's not what God does. When Daniel, in the book of, of Daniel, when he had a good boss, he flourished. When he had a bad boss, he still flourished. Whether he was used or whether he was not used, it didn't affect him from doing what God wanted him to do. And until we start to get that vision that what God wants me to do can be done even with a pharaoh of Egypt in my way, I can still get it done. Moses had to get to that spot and said, even this Pharaoh of Egypt with all his power cannot stop the hand of my God. And so we go to God. God, what are we doing next? All right, we're going to send this. And we're going to send this. And we're going to send this. We can go to God. God, what do you want to do? See, we're, we're looking for God to remove people. And God wants to change people. And as long as we keep praying for God to remove people, we're missing it. We're not understanding what's, what's going on. Just because I feel like, God, you ought to do this. God, you ought to go this way. God, is, it would work out real good if this leader didn't get in office. Don't let this leader get in office. Well, you know what, folks? God does not have a vote. He does not show up at the polls. He does not pull a lever. That's not his role. The reason we have good leaders or bad leaders is because people vote for them. That's all there is to it. And we still have people that are praying like God can sway elections. The, what is the number one choice that God wants everyone to make? He wants them to get born again, right? Will God make that decision for them? No, they have to make it themselves, right? 
if that is the number one decision that God wants everyone to make and he won't make that for them, why do we think that he will make any for them? God will not make people's decisions to vote. They can vote right. They can vote wrong. They can do it. And the good people in the land will suffer if more people vote wrong than vote right. Good people in the land of Israel suffered when a bad king was in place. But you see, we have to look at it this way. Our suffering in this earth is just qualifying us for what's going on in the next one. Paul even said, our suffering down here, small. Don't, don't get your eyes set on the suffering. We keep looking at things like, God, you need to stop the suffering that's going on down here. And God says, no. How you do in this suffering, how you pray, how you navigate through this is all the stuff I need to show me what I can do with you in the next kingdom. You keep going. You keep navigating. Look at Paul. How many times was he the subject of bad stuff because people made decisions? They made a decision to stone him. Does God say, yeah, I wanted to see one of mine get stoned. I haven't seen that in a while. It'd be kind of fun. Paul, you're up. Is that what God does? No, God, people made those decisions. And what's God say to Paul? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You, you don't worry about it. You don't worry about it. I see what you're going through. I see what people are deciding. Did God make a decision and say, all right, all you uh, heathens out there, I want you to rise up. I want you to crucify my son. I want you to beat him to a pulp. I want you to beat him so bad that I can't even recognize him. That's what I want you to do. Is that what God's wanted to get done? No. But it had to be done. But all he had to do was let people do what they wanted to do. He doesn't, he doesn't form that. He doesn't make them to do that. Now here with Hazael, Hazael had some potential to do some good. But he also had potential to be evil. So why does God put a person like this in place? You see, that it's, the answer is, is quite simple on this. It's really not all that complicated. God knows when Hitlers are coming up, when Hazaels are coming up, when, the, who was the evil guy in the book of uh, Esther? His name escaped me right now, but Haman. Haman. When he was coming up, he, he knows when pharaohs are coming. He knows when evil people are coming up. He knows it. He knows what decisions they're going to make. He knows what evil they're going to do. It does not surprise him. But they are not greater than God. They cannot get through a defense that God establishes. So what he does is he sends his prophets among the people and says, you need to repent because evil is on its way here. And unless you repent, I can't defend you. You need to repent. We're not just talking about Ben-Hadad evil. We're talking about Hazael evil. This is going to be bad evil. You need to repent so I can defend you. And they don't. And we look at that. Why does God let that happen? God did not let anything happen. He knew these people were going to make these choices. But as long as his people made the choice, he could protect them in the midst of all that. Now, we read that scripture to you where the, uh, the king repented and God came and delivered him from the Ben-Hadad and from Hazael. Or I think it was Ben-Hadad, really, uh, the son. But all the days of Hazael, they attacked him and they, uh, they won a lot of those battles. But even, uh, remember that, that spot in there? It said after they turned to God and they cried to God and God heard their cry and he delivered them, set them free. But then afterward, they still went after all their idols. They still went after. God knows what evil is ahead. Evil is not always consistent. There are some people who are just generally evil. There are other people who have a much greater bent to become specifically evil, to become greater in evil. And God knows when those people will come up and he gives warnings. One of the greatest warnings was when God gave a prophecy about the forerunner of Antichrist who would come up. And what he told what things this guy would do to the house of Israel. Antiochus Epiphanes was the guy's name. And God prophesied about it. Gave a prophecy that was directed about him. It also had some similarities to the Antichrist. 
but there were some things that were very unique about Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, what was funny was at the time that the Grecian Empire broke up, Israel was not under the reign where he, where Antiochus Epiphanes could, Antiochus Epiphanes comes out of the kingdom known as Syria, the area of the Grecian Empire known as Syria. That's, that's where they came out. But when they were divided up, when the Grecian Empire was divided up, they were under Egypt, under the Ptolemies from the area of Egypt. Well, they teamed up with Syria to rebel against the Ptolemies that put them under the Syrian government. Not Syria per se. It's just the, the Syrian area of the, the, the Grecian Empire because the Grecian Empire broke up into a, a couple of different ones. When Daniel brings us to it, it's in four. Uh, Macedonia, Syria, Egypt, and uh, the area uh, west of um, Macedonia. I can't think of what that one was called. But there's these, these four areas that were there. And they took themselves out of the Ptolemies, put themselves under the Seleucid Empire, Syria, where Antiochus Epiphanes came out of and didn't listen to their own prophecy. God says, evil is coming. This is the guy who's going to do it. And Israel says, hey, let's put ourselves under that kingdom. And then when the evil comes, people say, well, why did God let that happen? God warned them about it and they walked into it. Just as God has warned us about certain evils and certain things that would come our way and we still walk right into it. And then we blame God. Why did God let this happen? Why did God let Hitler be born? Why didn't God let Hitler die early? Why did God let Stalin why did God let Lenin? Why did God? And we look at all these things. If I knew what God knew, I wouldn't let this guy. You aren't God. You didn't set up the rules and you couldn't follow him anyway. But God is very good at following rules. And he says, I will let man make their own choices. But if people pray, I can step in and I can influence those choices. I still can't make them, but I can influence those choices. But we need to listen to God. We need to listen to his word. And we can avoid the problem. Just like it was with the king of Israel against the king of Syria. And Elisha heard the plans that the king of Syria had for the king of Israel. And he said, don't go over here. And he didn't go over there and didn't fall into that evil. God will guide us through just like that. If we will listen to him. Don't blame him. Don't, don't blame him. Evil is going to happen in this world. There are going to be some people who are going to sell themselves out to Satan and will do his bidding like you do bidding for God. And God says, those are some evil people, but they're still on the wrong side. But understand all through history, there have been people who have been burned at the stake. There have been people who have been thrown to the lions. There have been people who have died for their faith in Christ. If you're called on, just, just go happy. Go on happy. It does not mean that you necessarily missed it. Some of those Christians that died, that were burned at the stake, does not mean that they necessarily missed anything at all. Because God even said in His Word, some are called to be martyrs. Hey, I need you. I need you to set an example here. I need them to see that even death will not chase you away. And some people said, I can do that. I can do that. And other people said, I'm not ready for you. I need you down there yet. We need to step over here and avoid this. Paul avoided a lot of that, but eventually he came to the point where he died for his faith. He's happy to do so. It's not ours to question why evil people are here, why evil people are able to do things against good people. It has happened before. But God generally has given some warnings. From what I understand, even over in Germany, there were some warnings given and some Christians, some Christian Jews, got out of Germany before all that stuff happened. Some ignored it. There was a warning that Jesus gave in the, in the Gospels. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, flee. Don't go back. Don't get nothing. Flee. And Titus came with the army of Rome and surrounded Jerusalem. And some people took the warning and had left and got out of Israel. But some said, I'm not leaving. I'm not taking that warning. I'm not listening. And they stayed. And when Rome came, and when they conquered Jerusalem, 
They burned the city. They killed many of the people that were in there. And they took all of the men and they nailed them to crosses and put them all around the hillside. There were many thousands of crosses all over the hillside after Rome got done with Jerusalem. Why did God allow allow it? Jesus himself gave the warning. They just didn't want to listen. Many times we see evil happen. It's not because God allowed the evil person. It's because the good person didn't listen to the warning. And they misunderstand how God operates in this world. And if we had a better handle on how God operates, then the evil of this world we wouldn't wonder about. We wouldn't be so confused. We look at people today and they want to take folks that have guns and they want to go into crowded places and shoot them up. And they want to say, like who um, was one of the Democratic candidates, you know, we need to go in there and we need to love on them and we need to um, you know, show them that we care, we understand. And Hillary was talking about some of this stuff too, about how uh, smart power, I think she called it, uh, was one of the terminologies that she used and how we need to empathize, empathize with our enemies. And even though we don't understand their point of view, we need to understand that they have this point of view and to uh, understand that they're mad at us for good reasons and all these kind of crazy things that they're, they're saying. No, you know, how you know how God took care of evil people when they came up? He said, send the army out and kill them. Go out there with swords. Go out there with spears and kill them. Kill every one of them. I just wipe them out. You go out there and do it. And when the people who went out to kill every one of them come back with some of them, what did God say? Did, did I say to bring some of them back? Did I say, wipe them all out? Since you didn't, they're going to be a problem for you. I told you to wipe them all out. And every time that they didn't do it and didn't wipe them all out, they came back and they were a problem. How does God deal with evil people? Good people go out and get them. That's what he does. Good people ought to have guns. <laughs> and not go around shooting anybody. But if somebody wants to come into a place and start shooting up innocent people, someone with guns is going to be called on to stop them. God called on people. Called on, David, you got a sword. Go on over here. Take care of this problem over here. There's a Goliath guy over there. He's been saying some not so nice things. David, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out there. I want you to take him out. And so David goes out in the battlefield and he says, this day, I'm going to chop off your head with your own sword. That's how he answered it. <laughs> it's not hard. We, we got this weird view of God and how he stops things. When we just got to read the Bible and understand, this is how you stop it. This is what you do. It's not, evil is not hard to understand. But what happens is we get a foreign idea of God. And that infiltrates the church. And it begins to infiltrate the way we interpret the Bible. And infiltrate the way we interpret current events. And we begin to think, God should be doing this. And we see that God's not doing it. We question God. We become less loyal to God. That's all a product of the enemy. Understand what God will do and what God won't do. It's in his word. It's very clear. It's not hard to figure it out. That's what he will do. That's what he won't do. Now you go on out from there and take care of the rest of it. Do what he says to do. And I'll tell you what, it, it works out much, much better. There are still good people who will die. From this day forward, folks, there will be some good people who will die. Some of them will die because of mistakes they made. Some of them will die because they laid their life down for others. One thing I will not do, if I see a good person die, I'm not going to go around and decide whether they were right or whether they were wrong in my business. For God to take care of. Don't go around talking about that. Don't go around and, and try and surmise. We don't need to do it. But good people will have some bad results. Bad people will have some good results. So it's been in the Word before. Don't get confused. It doesn't mean that God's not doing His job. You get with God and say, God, we've got a problem over here with these ISIS folks. How should we take care of it? And God will say, do this. And if we do that, we'll take care of it. And if we don't, we will have the problem with it.
How many times in the Bible were people sent out? I can think of, I think, six right right now at the top of my head. People were sent out to take care of, and they did it insufficiently. You know, Saul did it the one time. But there's other kings in there too. Remember the one king? The, uh, the prophet came to him and said, take your arrows in your hand. And he said, strike the ground. And he struck the ground three times. He says, he was, he was, a, he was a right at him. I can't believe you only struck it three times. You should have done it six or seven times. Then you would have total victory. Now you're only going to have three, three battles to win. You won't wipe them out. They're going to come back and they're going to get you later on. <laughs> Wasn't aggressive enough. We need to, we did. These, the, all these stories are in here to show us who God is, how God thinks, how God can operate, and what God wants us to do. And then we're not confused by all the evil that goes on. Evil will continue. In fact, I think someone, a great man in the New Testament, I think he said this one time, evil will increase in the end times. Didn't he say that? Yes, he, did. he sure did. Yes, he did. Evil will increase. So don't be surprised. Evil is going to increase. Evil people will grow more numerous. And evil plans will become more complicated and more, uh, more sophisticated. And they will target you. Understand. Word, Jesus said himself, the world will hate you for my name's sake. Just look around. If people don't hate a political person who's running for office, they probably don't have anything good in them. Anybody good, anybody worth their salt will be hated. They will be tried to take it out. That's why they're coming after Dr. Ben Carson so much. Because there's some good inside that guy. <laughs> I love it when he talks about the Bible. I haven't heard that too much from a, a presidential candidate. But when he talks about the Bible, I'm listening. I, I like his viewpoint on some of these things. He's, he, he's good. If he doesn't make it as president, he ought to become a teacher somewhere or something like that. He's, he's got some good stuff going on. I enjoy him a lot. But... Um, don't be, don't be too surprised by this. Father, we thank you that your word clarifies for us what's going on in this world, what our role is, what your role is, what you will do and what you won't do, and how we can conduct our prayers and our expectations. And Father, nothing in this world should surprise us. And I thank you that it won't. In Jesus' name, amen.